All right, welcome everybody to Legal Tech Week for September 18th, 2020. This is the uh, weekly or sometimes weekly live panel of Legal Tech journalists where we discuss the week's top stories in, uh, in the legal tech and legal innovation world. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I write the blog Law Sites and have the podcast Law Next. And our panelists this week, as you see displayed before you, Brady Bunch style here are... <laughs> Let's see, who wants to go first, Victoria? Hey everybody, this is Victoria Hudgens from Legal Tech News. I cover cybersecurity and the intersection of law and technology and a lot of time like how lawyers are and usually are not using technology. <laughs> and uh, Joe? Um, okay, so I, um, I'm, I'm a little confused here. So wait, you, we didn't do this show last week? <laughs> and who did I talk to for an hour? We did not do the show last week. <laughs> I, I went off on all sorts of brilliant things about tech for an hour. I guess I... Anyway. This is uh, why Joe you Patrice. shouldn't drink during the round table. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am, uh, you know, also from the from Thinking Like a Lawyer and other podcasts out there. Um, yeah, no, that, nothing much to say. I'm the person who, if you're looking for some complaints about the bar exam, uh, I, am, I am now that the avatar of that. <laughs> All right, Molly. Hi, I'm Molly McDonough. I am a uh, content development strategist based in the Chicago area, focused mostly on uh, legal affairs and legal technology. And I um, forgot what else I was going to say. That's all for now. <laughs> all right. Uh, Victor, how about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Victor Lee. I'm a Lee. I'm a Assistant Managing Editor for the ABA Journal. I almost demoted myself there. Nobody's um, quite sure who they are this week. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that used to be Molly's job to, 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 to demote me, but you know, was, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, not that she ever did. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I cover the business of law for the ABA Journal. Uh, we look at the intersection between law and technology as well. And uh, my standard disclaimer is I don't speak for the ABA or the ABA Journal. And um, lately, I don't even know if I speak for myself because clearly I'm pretty out of it, so. All right, Zach. One week off, and I think we're all losing it already. This <laughs> is pretty bad. Hey, everybody, I'm Zach Warren. I'm editor-in-chief of Legal Tech News, a magazine with American Lawyer Media. So you'll catch me not only there, but other ALM brands like the American Lawyer, Corporate Counsel, National Law Journal, et cetera. We have Nikki going last because we're all mad at her this week because she didn't tell us about the MyCase acquisition beforehand so that we could all scoop each other. Uh, my name is Nikki Black, and I am also having issues over here. I'm trying to drink my Pellegrino with the lid on. I don't know if anyone caught that. I 100% um, <laughs> did. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> so good. I guarantee there's just Pellegrino in here, though. Um, but my name is Nikki Black. I am the legal technology evangelist with my case practice management software, um, legal technology journalist, is something I spend a lot of my time doing. I write articles for. Uh, above the law, ABA Journal, Daily Record. I write for the My Case blog and also other outlets on occasion as well. And you keep secrets very well. I, I have no comments. No. We are just giving her a hard time because she was apologizing to us before we started, as if as if we didn't understand why she had to, why she had to keep the fact secret. But but maybe that's a good place to start uh, this week, even though Nikki can't talk about it. Uh, but. Um, one of the big stories out of the last two weeks while we've been off has been uh, 
the fact that my case, the, the practice management platform, uh, uh, which was owned by a company called Appfolio, was sold to a, a private equity firm, Apex Partners, for 193 million bucks, which is not small change. Um, what, do, what do people think? Is this uh, significant? Uh, other, you know, I, I wonder if this represents something other than just this sale. Is there something going on here that might be bigger? And if, just by way of explanation, if I can just say that between the signing, which is what was announced, and the close. I can't make any additional comments. So I just wanted to clarify, you know, wh why that is. So. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, you kind of mentioned it right there. The price tag uh, definitely gets people's eyes raised. And that's something we've seen a lot of big money, not only flow in, but big money deals as well in recent years. So I think we've kind of talked about that on this program before, just how much cash is flowing into legal technology. And this is just yet another indicator for me of how much particularly private equity is really seeing this market as one that can grow, which yeah. isn't, wasn't always the case. Yeah. There, there, there has been some, uh, some, so there have been some rumors at least floating around of, of a couple of other uh, acquisitions that may or may not be happening uh, sort of in this general space of, of cloud applications related to uh, the practice of law. And I, I guess in part, I'm just wondering whether, uh, you know, that the pandemic has perhaps driven a little bit uh, interest in in this whole space or if it's just you know a confluence of other factors just that this market is maturing or that or that investors are are beginning to pay attention uh but clearly uh you know uh, this has been a time at which suddenly lawyers who had not discovered the cloud before seem to have uh become aware of it i think i, th I would add that this, in addition to the pandemic the changes in or the sandbox announcements and announcements out of Arizona um, disrupting the, the regulatory model are, are um, great invitations for uh, companies to come in to collaborate, to buy, to invest in this space and, and test in those markets and see if they can scale. Yeah. yeah. It's, the perfect, it's the perfect confluence of, of issues, right? You've got lawyers working at home, so they care about tech. And so like that seems like a a, a good business to be in. You've got private equity who's making money like gangbusters, sucking up companies that are, you know, struggling somewhere. And money is free because there's no interest rates on anything. So you've got this perfect situation where somebody who has a capital position where they can go out and buy is actively trying to find new areas to get into. And legal tech is sitting right there as a, as a, as, as a industry of the moment, kind of. Yeah. I think it does help too that you didn't really see much between March and July for obvious reasons. So there was a little bit of a backup behind the dam. And now that it's burst, it wouldn't surprise me. You saw a good deal in August and now through the end of the year, um, more of those announcements wouldn't surprise me just at a higher rate because nothing really happened before. Yeah. Um, Something else, I, something else that I, I was going to just pick out out of some stuff uh, that, that sort of happened in the industry over the last couple of weeks is uh, I, I've written a couple of times in, in, in just the last couple of weeks about these sort of new cloud-based deposition platforms of one sort or another. And, and Victoria actually had a, a really good article uh, on 
kind of the bigger picture around that, around what's going on here and, and what's, why are investors interested in this? But uh, I think, Victoria, I think it was your article that, that quoted somebody as saying, this is, you know, this is a sort of antiquated area that's, that's potentially really ripe for disruption or at least for some really good technology. Yeah, and especially with COVID-19, a lot of you can't go into a sit in a room and do the um, uh, and uh, report the deposition manually in that type of fashion. You have to do it remotely. And especially after the first few months um, after the lockdowns in mid-March, uh, you had um, I had court reporters telling me that that's all their business what they were only working remotely. They weren't able to go into work or into the courtrooms to um transcribe the record that way. So I think kind of like that's accelerating that and just the need that there's also not enough court reporters out there that you have to put them around the country more often. You have to use technology. You can't really just say like, oh, we'll just um, graduate more people from the programs. You have to use technology. So I think they're seeing that opportunity. And with COVID-19 making, I think, more people more comfortable working remotely, you'll just see like, okay, there's a need for it. And people are kind of like, I have to get my job done this way. So I can kind of see continual um, investments into that sector legal. Yeah, I think it's pretty Do interesting because it's an area that we really didn't hear about much at all until a couple months ago. But I'm sorry, Molly. But... In, I, no, I, in your reporting on this, do you, do you see that uh, I've heard and talked to people a lot about the shortage of court reporters and that, that, that it's continuing and that with this increased massive demand for virtual that uh, we'll see a, a quicker adoption of um, of technologies to do automated trans transcription. Um, I'm not seeing when I do when I use automated features for legal, um, even really good ones. It's it takes a lot of human editing still. Um, so I'm not sure it's quite there. But I'm wondering if for quick and dirty things, if if you're seeing an increase in use. Yeah, there's definitely um, a lot of reluctance, and we definitely report about that at Legal Tech News, where like just the professionals in this space, they're very hesitant because they believe that it could replace them. But from speaking to the actual tech providers, they said you still do need the human editing because the real-time edits just aren't there yet, so you'll still need humans, and especially with the part of maybe like going to court repeat. Um, proceeding when you need like just like a real time like someone to tell you back what was said on the record um, that aspect of law well I think still kind of makes it so you still you won't be able to fully automate the process so I think we're a few years um, away from that but there'll definitely be more tech adoption for this um, area. But I think one interesting uh, aspect about that, I, this guy, uh, I, one of the ones I wrote, I wrote about in the last week was this thing, company called Prevail Legal, which is doing exactly that. They're doing kind of real-time transcripts uh, as you do a deposition. And then they have a sort of a, a, a human-assisted version where they like lag five minutes behind, behind and they say they're above 95% accuracy. Um, but one of the points he made that I don't, I think, I'm not sure I fully understand this, but he said that what a lot of lawyers a lot of lawyers assume they need to have a, a, a certified court reporter in circumstances where they don't actually need to have a certified court reporter and where a, a, an online, a, you know, a, a, a virtual transcript, if you want to call it that, or online tra real-time transcript can be perfectly fine for, you know, many of the purposes. And then if at some point you do need to get it certified or something, you can do that. But um, you said even in a number of states don't even require court reporters for, for depositions. It's just something lawyers like to have. So even if there's a shortage of, of, of court reporters, even if this 
drives that, um, maybe this, you know, maybe that's not a real problem. Yeah, I've heard that from um, pro uh, proponents of electronic court reporting, which the NCRA, which is the National Court Reporting Association, they're very against that. Like they're right. proposing like you can't even advocate for non-verbatim um, stenography and everything like that. So of course, I think there's ways for it. And I think from what I've heard from the tech companies that like, it's kind of like the lawyers, if the lawyers say they need a person to um, actually record the record, then that's what you'll say. Um, so I think it'll pretty much be tied up with what the lawyers demand. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I mean, yeah, I, I think it could, it could just be, yeah, like, like, a, like another symptom of, well, this is how we've always done it. And I mean, because I mean, I mean, like, like during the brief amount of time where I practiced law, like we had court reporters in the courtroom. They had the little, I, I don't know if other lawyers have had the same experience. They had a little machine where they use like the shorthand and they type in like the little code. And so only they, only they can read it. So I think there's that presumption that like, well, only they can do this job. Nobody else can because they have specific training. They have the special machine. They have like a, they have the training to be able to read the, read the printout because it's like a, almost like a little piece of paper that, you know, nobody would be able to read except for them. So mm -hmm. I, I almost wonder if that's part of it, this idea of like, well, they're, they're so specialized, they're so, you know, uh, this, is so, this is so bespoke to them and so like unique to them that like, well, we can't possibly replace that, we can't replicate that, not with, not with the technology available. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna- They're recording, or are using voice recording as they go through. Yeah, I was gonna say that it reminds me an awful lot of another um, group that I, I'm familiar that I just can't quite put my finger on it. You know, the, the court reporter's position sounds an awful lot like someone else, some other organization or group of profession. Well, I don't know who it could be. Yeah, who could that oh. be? I mean, besides, oh, besides I, the protectionist. Oh, I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> besides the protectionist um, arguments against it, you know, there are actually a lot of consumer protection reasons for having court reporters and transcriptionists right now. Um, the way that, that, this, the system is currently set up, but there's almost no reason you can't do that remotely. And, and we probably should have been doing for a long time. Um, uh, you know, the fact that couldn't even have depositions or you'd have to fly people into um, remote areas of, of the country or the world to do these depositions or pay enormous expenses to have an expert flown in for, you know, a half day deposition that just doesn't even that doesn't even make sense um and and we could have been doing remote depositions for a long time so you know i think it did definitely open the door to to um remote uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that that continues for a lot of accessibility and, and pricing reasons and the consumer the consumer protection argument is perfectly valid because i mean just just looking at it from a legal standpoint i mean Appellate work is pretty much like very, very reliant on having an accurate transcript and making sure, you know, certain things were said, certain objections were raised, certain arguments were put forth. So I, so I, to I totally understand like that idea that you have to have a record that you can rely on, uh, especially at the appellate level, because, you know, so many things are, 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 are reliant on that. So I, I think that's a perfectly valid reason. But, you know, but then it gets to the point of like, yeah, like, like you said, like if, if it's going to cost an arm and a leg to fly one person out to like, you know, middle of nowhere, then is that, and you can get, you can get almost a similar um, kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a similar result with technology and why wouldn't you just use the tech, especially if it keeps improving, so. Apparently somebody just decided to do drilling in an office adjacent to mine somewhere. I don't know whether they're above me or next to me. I can't tell. 
But uh, if you're hear drilling, <laughs> well, they're not drilling at the moment, but I've, I've heard okay. it uh, come and go. Um, so so uh, one other, a couple of other stories that I know, I know you've, you've all submitted stories, but I, I was just curious uh, whether uh, any of you had thoughts on two stories that came out this week, also sort of legal tech stories. One was the new Lexus Plus, where Lexus has decided that it's going to put out a new, I mean, they kind of previewed this before, but they, they kind of formally released it this week. You know, the, the premium level of Lexus, uh, which, you know, I, I, I've tested it out and I thought it was kind of, kind of cool, but I feel like, why wouldn't you just put that stuff into Lexus? Why would you have a, a premium level of it? I don't know. I mean, why not just have one? West, West does the same thing with their West I, I see whatever. Nikki's face. Didn't we do this one before? Maybe yeah, we, we did. did. Well, we but probably not, did talk but, about it. Yeah. No, no, for, no, on a totally different story. It was a completely oh. different story, but it was the same. But it was, it was the, the, what? Oh, I it thought it was not, still it, Lexus. I it might have been when they did we, Lexus. Yeah. Okay. I thought yeah. they both but it was had the same new logic. products that yeah. ate yeah. 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 But it was the they, same they logic. They previewed it back in July or something. And that, yeah. I think we probably talked about it then. But uh, I, this is the first time I really got a chance to uh, try it out. Play with last it. Week. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's cool. But in some ways, it's, it's not that much cooler than, than Lexus. It's, it adds in some other features that, you, that are really nice to have. But you know, you kind of wonder why they don't. And then the other one was just this case text, which we probably talked about before too, but they came out with their next phase of their, you know, AI brief writing tool, uh, Compose, where it's now entered into the employment area and they've got some basic motions related to wage and hour uh, matters and uh, a couple for a uh, couple teasers for, I guess, a broader uh, Title VII and discrimination library. Um, is this... Uh, is this uh, a, a, a finally a practical use of AI technology and law or uh, anybody have any thoughts on this? I think there's a lot of practical uses uh, for AI and law. Um, I'll get to that in a moment, but just in terms of the research tools rolling out, I have a, I spoke with Lexus and I have um, an a access um, login code. I just haven't had a chance to check it out yet, but I'm going to be planning on writing about it. But from what I'd gathered by uh, through talking to them, it's, it, it sounds like what they're doing is they're rolling out um, this tool and they're going to start adding more and more features, just as you alluded to case text doing the same thing. So it's this idea that we're, um, and this is what you can do with the cloud because you can quickly iterate and roll things out rather than doing it once a year. So you roll out the skeleton, you know, concept, if you will, get feedback from your customers and then con constantly update it based on what they're telling you that they need the most. And so I would, and as I said before, I think that, of course they should charge more because they've acquired a whole bunch of companies at significant cost to be able to bring this value to you. Not all lawyers are going to need that um, level of um, uh, legal research and, or, or the specific tools that they're providing. And so that's just where these different um, situations come in where you can charge different amounts for different types of access. And then in terms of AI being useful, I, I just will respectfully disagree with you on that. I already think there's a lot of really useful use cases. I think legal research is really heating up and it's super interesting to see it there. And I think that's gonna be one of the leading areas of um, AI really making a difference with the natural language processing. But I also think that the litigation analytics that um, is becoming increasingly useful as well. Um, I think it's slowed its usefulness and it's um, has slowed down a teeny bit, if you will, only because there's not a lot of new litigation happening, everything's kind of stalled or slowed down at the very least. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, uh, once we actually 
in two or three or four or five years end up back in the real world, <laughs> it's going to be going on again, or at least until the end of next year. But I think there's a lot of um, utility for um, AI in the legal space. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really mean, honestly, honestly mean to suggest <laughs> there wasn't already. I, I, I totally agree <laughs> with you on that point. I know. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting for me with this, particularly to the case text one, um, Nikki was talking about how you won't use everything that's in a platform, but it seems like by focusing in on a specific practice area like labor and employment, it's a little bit like trying to have your cake and eat it too, because you have the wider platform that can go to everybody, which is their base for anybody who's going to the tool the first time. That's what you want to funnel them to. But if somebody was looking for a best of breed solution, you have that LNE specific. Like talking about Lexus, this is something that Lex Machina has done for years with their solution, having 30 different modules for every different uh, particular part of law, seeing case text move in that same direction, I think is kind of interesting as they continue to grow. Yeah. And I guess they're still playing around with how they're going to price it all. Uh, and, and one of the things they, they did, we're having some, well, right now it's free. Anybody can go try it for free. So uh, that, that's a good price. <laughs> it won't last for too long, probably. Like philosophically, when when you brought it up, and I was like, "Oh, we talked about this before." I thought it was it was good because it me it there's a evolution of that conversation because the last time it was basically you you Bob and I were saying, "Why are they charging all this?" and Nikki gave a gave a grand defense of it. Uh, but I still think that I, I'm kind of persuaded by what Nikki's saying. But it, then it, it it makes me think the 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 problem's the other direction. Right now, we pay a lot for Lexus, and then to get this higher tier, there's not a ton extra. Um, and I see the reason, that, the argument that you know some people don't need that extra, but that puts us in this weird pricing point where maybe the problem is that the people who need less should be charged less, and the people who need more should be. You know, mm. I mean, I'm 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 a defender of progressive tax taxation too, I guess. But I think the people who need a lot of it probably should be paying more of that share. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I've sort of dominated with the topics here uh, today. Um, we've all I know we've all got some. Uh, Molly, do you want to kick us off? You've you've got a couple of things. With what what's up top of your mind this week? Um, what I honestly wasn't sure if we were going to get to play. We have so many no. on the list. <laughs> well, you uh, don't have to. Um, I, and I've sent way too many. Um, I, I think, um, and Victoria can start it off too, because she probably has more insights into the, to the Winston and Strawn uh, virtual support center. But I thought that was really, I thought that was an interesting approach. Um, and, you know, pandemic related transition um, of, uh, of teams, uh, the some of the early news that um, there were going to be layoffs, but Winston and Strawn says that they're going to be shifting those positions to this virtual support center um, to serve, serve their clients in, in better and new ways. Um, so I, I, I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, love your thoughts. I know uh, um, Above the Law had a different take on it. So. Yeah, I definitely thought it was interesting and maybe like I haven't talked talk to Winston Strong yet, but 
I would assume is kind of like the realities of COVID-19 and everyone working remotely, becoming used to working remotely that they thought, okay, this could be something that we can do to transition some of our employees over to provide um, services for our attorneys and clients. Um, it'll be interesting to see if other law firms will follow that route, um, especially with like law firms considering downsizing their office space. Um, at ALM, I think we've covered about like, um, uh, maybe changing how they're staffing law firms to make sure that they can keep on like their equity partners. And if this is like an effort that they can do with um, having remote employees and maybe areas where this, uh, uh, the standard, you don't have to, the, it's like a, not a low income area, but an area where they can have people to work at a lower rate, a lower uh, salary rate. So that'd be something that more law firms will start to leverage instead of like outsourcing entirely because we've already seen that trend, but will they go to more remote um, virtual based services? It'd be interesting to watch. I wanted to add an asterisk to what you just said, Victoria, when you said keep on the um, equity partners. I would just note that I think there was, wasn't it an ABA journal article about how the equity partners that have been let go throughout the um, pandemic have all been women for the most part statistically. So yeah. when they do let the equity partners go, it's the women. Not technology related, but an interesting story that was of note, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, with Winston, with the Winston Estrada thing, we, we, were, we were salty about it. And part of the reason we were salty about this is and we talk a little bit about this in the upcoming Thinking Like a Lawyer episode, plugging that, uh, which comes out next Tuesday. But, we, uh, but one of the problems that we had was it does make sense to make these sorts of efficiency moves at this point. However, bundling it with associate layoffs, which have no real, uh, we're doing this to like build on efficiencies. It was like, literally, we think we have people we, like, that we have to fire. Tying those together made us view it as more of a broader problem with where Winston Strawn was sitting. Uh, had it just been a, we're taking this opportunity to move everybody to Topeka uh, in the back office, we wouldn't have viewed it nearly as dimly. But given that associate layoffs came with it, uh, about 30 or 40 associates, it sounded like, um, that, that made it more negative in our eyes. All right. Um, I'm not loving that the, the, the responses to everything about is all right. <laughs> all right. <you. laughs> so I, I mean, I, I, I think it's, I think the, the pairing, the timing was, you know, unfortunate. I, what I'm more interested in whether, well, it's, it's kind of similar to the, to the deposition conversation we had, you know, there's no reason that this couldn't have been ha happening, um, before the pandemic um, and addressing a lot of these same issues that they're bringing up now with serving clients in a more efficient, better way and um, pulling employees who wanna work in this, in this um, environment um, in this way. But you know, I, think, I think the pandemic really forced the issue and, and created the opportunity maybe where there had been pushback before. So I would expect to see other firms do something similar and if they're not, I think that would make them um, less competitive. And that's the perversity of big law is that we, we've all, and we saw this during the last crisis too, the perversity of big law is big changes that need to structurally happen. They put off in good times because they say, ah, we can afford the inefficiency and in bad times fire them. But the problem with that is now you've fired a bunch of people when they can't get other jobs. <laughs> 
I just wanted to clarify that I was talking about the market generally, not this specific firm. I didn't want to imply that they were firing all the women. <laughs> but it's fun to throw that out there. Yeah, and, I, and I wasn't trying to dismiss your thought. I was just not listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that. It was the last couple I was the last word on. And I was like, I don't think that I said anything good enough to be the last word on it. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was uh, not engaged in active listening because I was reading something that came across my screen. Um, like, just, to, just, to, just to add real quickly, I mean, it just seems like, like these kind of things are, are always the things that, that big firms do, right? It's like, okay, well, let's just shift a bunch of people to a cheap location and see what happens kind of thing. Or let's just do this rather than doing like the big structural changes that, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, advocate or, or, or think that they have to, you know, pursue. It's always something along the lines of, hey, let's go to, let's go to this small town where, the, where, where, where you know, the cost of living is really low. Move, and, and, you know, people can volunteer or they can, you know, they can be reassigned or they can whatnot. And then, and then, and then, and then it'll be our, our, it'll be our new back office and then we'll, 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 we'll change the way we do things. And it's just, okay, yeah. I mean, maybe it'll save a little bit in the long run. And, and if it stopped some, if it stopped like, like a lot of associates from getting laid off, then great. But, you know, where, like, when, like when, when something like this happens again in five years, 10 years, then like, what's, what's the answer going to be? You know? Yeah. Well, let's hope Ralph Baxter isn't listening right now because <laughs> kind of pioneered he's, he, that he's concept. He's got plenty of other things to do. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, well, Joe, continuing on the uh, on the vein of, of philosophical concepts, what, what, you had a couple of suggestions this week, but I, th- I thought was what was one of the really interesting thought points you raised, kind of in planning for today's call, was this question of, of the, the philosophical concept of what happens, yeah. what's the future of tech shows? Yeah, so we've had a we've had a year where we couldn't go to a lot of places. Uh, actually, like the I think the last actual legal journalism event that I had was going to ABA Tech Show. And then just since then, it's been nothing. And we've seen people put on shows since then. ILTA, I thought, was very good. We we all talked a little bit about ILTA on. and But this all comes out of actually an internal above the law editorial meeting. So I'm spilling some how the sausage is made. But we we were chatting about how advertising wise, we were you know, doing really well this year. And it seemed weird because the internet is not doing great as a general matter. And why are we doing so well advertising wise? And the reason a large part was that a lot of companies have spend that they would otherwise have thrown into giant booths at various shows that they don't do now. And so like the physical aspects of marketing have turned online. And Part of this was a, then it spun into an internal discussion of, do we think that will change when we can go back out? Or do we think that it's going to force a reconfiguration of what shows are all about? Shows will still exist, but we've had some shows that kind of exist as, well, we invite people and this is their opportunity to go to X city. And everyone just comes because if they don't come, everyone will go, hmm, they were here last year. Why aren't they here this year? But now we're looking at a situation where they are gone for a whole year. No one will blame somebody for not coming back after a year absence off of all this. So what companies are going to sit back and say, well, it's not worth it for me to go there. Maybe it's worth it if your philosophy were different. Like it's going to change the way shows work, I think. And I don't know what the answer is, but I'm interested in how people have tangled with what's going to be the next normal. 
I personally think it was already starting to change to a certain extent, though. Like, if you think about Legal Week, how many times in the past two or three years have you been to the Warwick and not actually on the show floor for your meetings? I think a lot of people were already starting to look at that ROI and say, those large booths, maybe they aren't generating as much revenue as just having somebody on site in general. So I think, honestly, that might be the future is you'll still see a lot of presence from people, but maybe in different ways, maybe just trying to take meetings and have face-to-face one-on-ones as compared to giant exhibit hall blowouts. Yeah, we were already seeing. Yeah, go ahead, Molly. Yeah, well, like uh, Zach said, you know, we were already seeing big anchors pull out of conferences and and rethink their models um, um, before this. So I, I definitely think that that um, you know that the change was happening um, and the the interest in in vendors and sponsors in um, getting more meaningful connections. They were looking for creative ways. And again, you know, the pandemic kind of pushed that, pushed the question, pushed it forward a little maybe faster. Um, so we're seeing more experimentation and seeing kind of what's working more in real time than than we would uh, maybe over the next three or four years. Yeah, you just muted yourself. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if you finished your talk, but you were, you were muted for a second there, Molly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I go a couple of ways. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of the, the big, larger companies have been pulling out of the mega booths over the last couple of years already. I mean, Thompson Reuters, you know, was one of the first. I think it didn't drop out of uh, Legal Week or, uh, or was it ABA Tech Show? Maybe they pulled it out of tech ABA show. Tech Show and uh, it was Tech Show. It was Tech yeah, Show. Yeah, and but and, they reduced uh, <laughs> the Legal Week, didn't they? Reduce their footprint. Yeah, Legal Week they reduced their footprint. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I know it, when I was at Tech Show, a lot of the sort of smaller exhibitors that I talked to there were really happy with the exposure and, and the discussions they were having. Uh, and, and I think uh, if it's priced right, those live exhibits can really be valuable to a smaller company that's trying to gain exposure and get known a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen when we start going. I don't know if we're ever going to go back to real conference. I hope we do, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, somebody made that tr- point in the chat too, and I think it's very well taken that a lot of the booths have largely been around gener- generating awareness, not driving revenue. Thank you, Chris, for that one. And I definitely yeah. agree. The flip side is kind of to your point of it has to be priced right. Yeah. Like I know ALM for a long time had legal tech west which specifically was supposed to be for startups uh some of those smaller companies to get that awareness and their foot in the door and they had a decent attendance but from the sponsor standpoint they a lot of them just didn't think it was worth it to shell out that cash in an early stage which i can't fault them for but there has to be some sort of marriage between what actually is reasonable from both the event planning side as well as from the startup community side and i don't know that that's there right now in a lot of cases yeah and uh uh, you know vichelle just made the the comment uh uh in the uh, chat about about Latera TV and how different companies are taking different approaches to it. I think, I think that's, we've talked about this before and we talked about it with Elta, but I think that's another uh, big question 
is how, if, you know, to the extent we continue to have virtual conferences, how are either these conferences or the, or the companies going to find ways to make themselves stand out around these conferences? Because what, you know, the, the traditional, trying to convert the traditional exhibit hall to online has not worked well at all. Uh, and, I, you know, either companies are going to stop associating themselves with virtual conferences at all, or they're going to find really creative ways to maybe wrap themselves around it. Like, like basically what Latera did with Latera TV at, at ILTA, they created this whole, you know, uh, what they call it LatéraCon, this whole sort of almost a second event piggybacking on top of, of, of ILTA that um, they were very, I, I know they were very happy with the results from what I hear. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that, how that evolves too. Um, I have another question on, uh, related and, um, to, for this group. It, one of the things that I, I was always struck by with um, Tech Show and, and Legal Week uh, it was, the, was the, co the comments that I would hear about how this was a way for smaller startups to showcase, um, make themselves known like um, um, others mentioned, um, but then also be, be um, showcasing themselves to be uh, potentially purchased. <laughs> Um, and have the larger companies or investors come in and um, and it'd be like a shopping mall for legal technology and and I so that goes away with with no convention floor and I or nor no vendor area and I'm wondering you know what's the marketplace going to look at look like when we you know the opportunity for a shopping spree could be much greater in a renaissance of um, um, delivery of legal services technology and innovation. I, I believe I used much more vulgar terms when I explained that, but that's what I, that's what I view those startup little areas of shows as. I'm like, oh, this is where basically the big players walk by and go, oh, you have an idea. Here's some money. Uh, it, but yeah. it's true. There, there's a value to that. And if we don't have shows like this, then that goes away. And maybe that becomes the point of a show. Uh, maybe it becomes a startup centric show or maybe um, like a lot of people, people want to come to New York and talk to people, right? Maybe the excuse is no longer legal tech, but there's some other way in which a show organizer can make money off of making everybody come at the same time. Whatever it is, there, there's got to be something. Well, but so listen, first of all, now I'm trying to figure out what vulgar terms you used, but that's a different <laughs> issue. Um, <laughs> but I think that the, the thing about these different conferences is that they serve so many different purposes for so many different people. And so, you know, I've always viewed legal tech um, as a way to, for companies to set the tone for the year to find out what everybody else is doing in terms of setting the tone for the year to connect with everybody and find out what everybody's talking about for the year, like legal or legal week, I guess now, but that it's, it's really like this vault uh, way to vault into the new year. And I can't imagine that that's going to go away. That's when all the people from this space get together. And so I think that you're still going to see that and businesses, companies are still going to, it, it may, they may change the way they evaluate it because this sort of is a grand experiment, right? And, <clears throat> but without necessarily, it's a grand experiment, but not in a vacuum. So, of course, they can all look at their numbers and say, well, wow, we didn't spend any of this money on these, tech, these shows, and our, but our numbers look like this, but our numbers look like this because COVID came in and drove everybody into the cloud. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, or drove people to need our particular product, whether it's, um, 
you know, Zoom or whatever it may be. You know, so I think that it's going to be difficult for companies. And I would just note that I have nothing to do with these decisions at my case. So this is not my wheelhouse. So I'm not speaking on behalf of my case at all when I say this. Um, but I think it's going to be difficult for companies to, you know, they can have hypotheses about what the numbers mean. And, um, but because it didn't exist in a vacuum, because it did happen during COVID, um, they're going to just be hypotheses. And it's going to be hard to test them or prove them because eventually COVID is going to go away. I mean, I guess that's what happens. COVID is no longer part of the equation. And then you look at your numbers again, but there's a risk involved if you're like, we're not going to go to any, we're no longer going to exhibit. There's risk involved in that, right? And then a year, two years later, you look at your numbers and realize. So there's a lot of balancing, I think, that the companies are going to have to do in terms of deciding where it's going to make the most sense for them to spend the money to exhibit. And also, what do they get out of the different conferences? Different conferences definitely offer different benefits from a company's perspective. You know, some really are, you know, chest thumping CNBC and others are connecting with potential customers, it, you know, and it depends on the type of conference and the company's goals and um, COVID certainly going to change those things. And so is the fact that nobody could um, exhibit during this time frame, um, at least not in person. And so there's going to be a lot of different factors to think about, but it's definitely going to be interesting, but I absolutely think conferences are going to exist they're definitely going to change uh, like a lot of other things for sure, but it will be interesting to see what happens when this ends. I don't know whether that's going to be in 2021 at the end of the year, 2022. I don't know. One day we'll all go out and get drinks together again. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. And, I, and you're buying with that $190 million in your pocket. Oh, there we go. There we go. Good. <laughs> we end every Welcome conversation. By making... <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> we should make every conversation end with a my case reference. Let's do that from going forward. I mean, what, one other thing that, that's kind of the cycle, I don't know if the cycle has changed or not, but is, is product announcements. I mean, it used to be that pro, a big product announcements were often tied to conferences. Um, and it felt like at ILTA this year, there were, some, there were some product announcements, but nowhere near the quantity, I think, of, of, of past years that would have happened around ILTA. Um, you know, we haven't, we haven't gotten to, to Tech Show or, or Legal Week yet. Uh, I don't even know when Legal Week is. Did it, did it get to, did they read it? They were going to delay it or not or something? I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Forthcoming very soon. That's all I can say. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was, you stole my question, Bob. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm but, still dying to know what's going to happen. Okay. So but you I'm can reveal that soon, Zach. Yeah. This should also be where I, I'm not used to giving disclosures on my end, but events is separate from editorial on ALM. So I have no connection with Legal Week Conference, but being an ALM, I am in the know about a few things. So coming soon. All right. I love all of our disclosures, but okay. they're necessary. <laughs> um, but but I, I mean, I, it, it, the whole, the whole um, pace of, of, of product releases has, has become... I mean, there, there is no, it's not tied to events anymore. It's just happening every day. I mean, it's like, I, I feel like I go to bed every night saying, please let there be a day when nobody announces anything tomorrow so I can just like get, get caught up on work because it's like, it, it's just crazy how much, how much is getting announced and, and the, the, the quantity and the, and the pace of it. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that'll ever change or go back to the way it used to be. I mean, Clio, Clio like, because they have their own conference and they kind of control that you know they're pretty good about about kind of holding all of their big product announcements for for when you know Clio Cloud's going on. So, but again, but that's their show. They can do that. They can you know build 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 you know build the agenda so that so that they can 
you know, have that big unveil. But but then, but then it also kind of gets the gets the idea of like, well, we talked, you know, there's 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 uh, there's there's a uh, uh, not legal tech. It's uh, uh, yeah, like yeah, like tech show. There's legal tech. There's you know, Elto, there's all these things. So, so which show do you, you know, which show do you reveal at? If you have a big, you know, if you have a big, pro, uh, you know, product thing that you want to, that you want to reveal, like which show do you choose? Which show, you know, like, 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 do you yeah. worry that, okay, if I, if I do it on, depends on your show, audience, am I missing, yeah, it depends yeah, on the product. Am, I, am I missing, am I missing a quote, uh, some audience from, from, from this other conference? Or am I going to upset people who are, who are there? So yeah, it, it, it's, it's almost kind of, I mean, it's just looking at the, at the news, the way news is now. I mean, you know, things just come out when they come out. Like there's, you know, now it's like it used to be Friday. We didn't have to worry about news breaking on Friday. Now it's like every Friday there's something big that, that happens because, you know, <laughs> just just the way it is. So I think I think uh, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, like like sort of the you know, it's become kind of a symptom of what uh, of what of what we see now. Just just the idea of like, well, we're not really tied to a set schedule anymore. Just things just happen when they happen. Yeah. But one problem with shows, I think, is I, I think that's right that you would you would time it based on somebody who actually like it's a niche like, oh, well, this these are this is a product we're releasing for labor and employment. Let's tie it to that. But the problem is the economics of conferences are such that you can't really make a go of it and make it big without being something that's general purpose. So you end up in a situation where. I can't just be the labor and employment conference. I've got to be the legal tech across everything conference just to make the money. But then the problem is then now everybody's the same thing. And then it, it, it just, it compounds upon itself. Yeah. This, this is why we're reporters and not marketers. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I, I've done some of that, but I would not want to do it again. Um, any other thoughts on that before we? So we had a couple of other things here. Um, what else did we have? Uh, Zach, did you have? Do you want to talk about? Uh, the, you had the SCOTUS or Pacer? A couple yeah. of things here. Um, I, I mean, we we could talk about SCOTUS briefly, just because I think it's interesting that they're continuing with telephonic arguments that the first go around didn't completely turn them off, it seems. And uh, Justice Breyer, I believe he was talking with George Washington Law School yesterday with some very fun backgrounds, like we were joking about before uh, coming on just his bedroom. Um, but in the words he actually Somebody's said, bedroom. We don't know. So, somebody's so, so, so they didn't flush this idea? They did not flush this idea. No. Um, Touche. That's awful. But, <laughs> no, in his actual words, though, um, he, he basically said there are pros and cons because the pros, he thinks it actually forces people to listen a little bit more and consider the words that are actually being said. The bad side, there's less back and forth because it has to have a little more structure by virtue of being on the phone. So it just got me thinking whether in some form or fashion, I, it's not going to be everything is going to be telephonic when COVID is over, but in some form, whether it be some proceedings or some arguments or some way to incorporate virtual whether that's telephonic or otherwise, proceedings into the Supreme Court. It wouldn't surprise me if they do some sort of flyer at the very least. Yeah. How ironic that a tech solution uh, for the Supreme Court involved um, 
is is uh, being criticized for less showmanship. <laughs> the back and forth <laughs> is the is the argument and one of the arguments against cameras in the court. <laughs> right. My my fa actually my favorite court tech story of the week was the one Molly you, you said. Well, I hadn't even seen it, but it's the uh, what was that? A National Center for State Courts, I guess. Program yeah, the on, conference what? of chief justices in the National Center for State Courts released a, a good night moon approach um, <clears throat> to the <clears throat> I'm sorry guiding principles on um, uh, on conducting uh, virtual trials. So it was a. a five chief just five state court chief justices reading a a court technology version of goodnight moon which was it would have been really funny if not for the bittersweet aspect of the fact that one of the justices was chief justice gans from here in massachusetts where i am who died this week and who must have he must have recorded that just within a couple of days of his, his dying. He had had a heart attack uh, a few weeks ago. They got some stents put in and then uh, was thought he was coming back to the bench this week. And then, and then he died and um, a, a really great guy uh, and a real passionate advocate for, for equality and for access to justice. And so really sorry to see him, but he's, he's one of the readers in that video. So it's worth catching. Um, Victor, uh, you had something you want to talk about? Yeah, uh, I just thought it was interesting how, um, well, uh, uh, with self, I mean, we talked about self-driving cars in the past. Uh, and in Arizona, there was a, um, an, uh, one of the self-driving Uber cars got into an accident and they charged the, uh, the supervising driver, I guess the one who's, who's in the front seat but not behind the wheel, but it's supposed to be there in case anything happens. Because I guess that person was allegedly streaming the voice while um, <laughs> while 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 this car was was in motion and, and then and then you know uh, collided with uh, you know um, with you know a person and um, so 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 the, so so the person was 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 uh, was charged and I just thought it was interesting it was interesting because we talked about like you know the issues with revolving regarding self driving cars and also the liability issue as well um, you know obviously Uber you know claimed that they weren't responsible for it and you know this person obviously now is on the hook criminally. So it, it just seemed like an interesting kind of, it, it, it seemed like an interesting approach to, to the situation. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's going to be the way it is, you know, nationwide or, you know, even other, in other States, but it, it, it is uh, sort of uh, interesting and also kind of a, kind of, I mean, frankly, kind of a, kind of a scary application because this is like, well, you know, I mean, if, 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 if the person is, is, is you know, I mean, yeah, if, if the person was found to be, negligent and like not doing you know uh, their duty then that's one thing but you know how how far does that go does it does it does it go to just you know someone who just fails to act and when, when they're supposed to even if they are paying attention does it go you know like so so there are all kinds of iterations i guess that we could we could we could come up with from this case but so i just thought it was interesting just just it, it touched along the issues that we've been talking about and sort of the issues regarding self-driving cars in general yeah, no, yeah that's so the story, actually, uh, one of the stories that I think the CNN version of that story, um, recent guest Ed Walters was quoted in. Uh, but um, I'm making another plug for you to go back and watch the old episodes of the show. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was an interesting case because they they cleared Uber, right? Like they, they said, oh, no, you're fine with your algorithm that's supposed to detect this. It's the person who was watching the voice inside, which seemed like a it almost seemed like they were just trying to trying to get a get some sort of someone punished for it 
Um, because if they're saying that the algorithm failed, but you know, we found a reason to go after the other person, it seemed a little unfair. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm the last word again. God, <laughs> doing this. Why? <laughs> it, it's, it's, you, you say it so well that there's really nothing to be said. Oh. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, Nikki, you had a couple. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to say that, Mark? No, I was just going to say, um, Sarah, um, in the comments, um, uh, shared a, another story. I'll put it in there um, about a Tesla driver falling asleep at the wheel of a self driving car. Um, the story's in The Guardian. Um, that, that was speeding. Yeah, it's going pretty fast and falling asleep. <laughs> That's pretty bad. But but is, is, well, wasn't that the point of uh, of self driving cars? Though, so the point that like if you did fall asleep behind the wheel, then you wouldn't you wouldn't kill anybody or you wouldn't get into an accident, right? I mean, like is, isn't that the whole point of having a self driving car? Otherwise, why get one? Is just drive yourself. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, I think, yeah, well. All right, I'm going to push back on that. So, I, yeah. <laughs> so, so we have we have self-flying planes. <laughs> the pilots are expected to be awake during autopilot. <laughs> They're expo- supposed to be paying attention to other things and distractions that the plane that the autopilot doesn't take care of. So, I I don't think that self-driving is meant to be you know our our um, passive rides on trains. Um, not quite yet. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I will say, uh, so Victoria wrote a great piece uh, a month ago that I wrote a thing about today that referenced because there's new issues with it, but about facial recognition technology, it, it's, it's a theme in the industry. It, like we humans get ahead of themselves on new technology and their response when it's, it, it, proves not good enough for what it needs to do is, well, maybe we should ban this. And it's like, no, it was never ready for prime time. You know, like you never figured out that your facial recognition technology was racist. So maybe let it figure out whether or not you need a password for Candy Crush for a while before you decide that it's now ready to make arrests or to decide who gets to take the bar exam, which is its current problem, you know? So, and same thing with Uber. Yeah. Um, we only got a few minutes left. Nikki, you, you wrote, a, wrote, I guess, this week about a couple of uh, recent ethics opinions dealing with working from home. You want to talk about those? Well, first, I just want to say that when it comes to AI and, you know, moving that along to robots, I preemptively welcome all the robot overlords on Twitter every day. I go out of my way to make sure that the latest robot overlords know that I welcome them so that when they do take over the world, I'm on their side. So I think that you all should start doing that as well. I think it's a good practice. Um, And then as it relates to what I thought was interesting, I wrote about it. So of course it's interesting, Um, it's fascinating. Um, uh, Two of my Daily Record articles, um, and it's a New York Daily Record, it's published locally, but it's syndicated nationally on uh, uh, Gatehouse Media. Um, And so um, I wrote about two different um, ethics opinions. One's actually, um, I think they're both ethics opinions about working remotely um, in the jurisdiction in which you're not licensed. So basically a bunch of, you know, the ethics committees are grappling with the issue of lawyers during COVID um, going somewhere else. You know, they have a summer homes, they're staying with relatives, whatever, to get out of the hot spots and then practicing law from these remote locations because the technology now enables that. It enables you to work 
from anywhere 24-7. I mean, that's the pitch, right? So, um, and now that lawyers have to work remotely, they're discovering the value of that. Uh, but at the same time, that means that they are now in jurisdictions in which they are not licensed, practicing law in another jurisdiction, and it gets to be a little mind-bending. Um, but so essentially, the D.C. bar and um, the Florida standing bar, uh, Florida State Bar Standing Committee on Unlicensed Practice of Law. They both address this. And the D.C. Uh, District of Columbia Court of Appeals concluded that an attorney who's not a member of the District of Columbia bar can nevertheless practice law from their residence in D.C. under the incidental and temporary practice exception during COVID. And then the Florida bar came to a similar conclusion and basically said that um, uh, in that particular case, the petitioning, an attor petitioning attorney who was not licensed in Florida, could um, but who establishes a residence in Florida and continues to provide work um, uh, out of state, legal work out of state to clients that are out of state, um, does not establish a regular presence in Florida for the practice of law, so they aren't committing the unauthorized practice or engaging in an unauthorized practice of law. And I think that what is notable to me is the fact that COVID, it's just one more example of COVID pushing the limits on these things, making the ethics bars, uh, ethics committees address these issues and making it so that it, it conforms to the reality of the world in which we live rather than the reality of um, how lawyers used to practice 100 years ago. And so it's nice to see that COVID is once again pushing us into the reality in which we live, which is where we all ought to be. <laughs> and unfortunately, a pandemic made the legal industry do this, but. It Given is. what I hear about the pandemic in Florida, there may be other reasons to question the fitness of a lawyer who moves there to practice law. But <laughs> That's a good point, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we have pretty much filled up an hour here. And uh, any, any last words? Anything else anybody wanted to hit on before we finish? I nominate Joe for the last word. <laughs> no. That's what I'm trying to avoid. <laughs> I will say though that the um, that when you were talking about that Florida thing I, and the remote lawyering, I actually ran across a thing the other day. Somebody sent me an email, like a, it decided by algorithm I deserve this email. Apparently, Bermuda is paying people to go there to work. Saw that. Like, please work remotely. We'll test you, and then you can live here. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Yeah, there are a, number, a number of countries that are giving people cash, uh, financial incentives to go become uh, uh, temporary workers, at least. In, in, uh, one of, one, another one is, uh, some, some of them are not very desirable ones, but Bermuda is a little higher on the list. So, all right. So, and the hotels, too, offering uh, um, workers remote, um, spaces, office space in their rooms and conference spaces. Yeah. I'll ask you. All right, Joe, you're going to sign us off. Joe, sign us off. You get the last word. He's speechless. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, what we will be back. What, what in the world happened to me? <laughs> I've never seen Joe speechless. No, like my, 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 everything died. My, my headphone died. My, my microphone died. I, I, yeah. I, I think I assume it's the, it's the Chinese that Chris Ray won't tell us about or whatever. <laughs> they, it, I don't know if anyone saw that. He's about to get fired. All right. Well, we, we asked you to back. sign us off. We will be, yeah, I was going to ask you to sign us off.
it, it, it killed everything. So maybe you did it. Like it killed everything on here. <laughs> I had nothing. All right. On that note, we will be back next week, same time. Uh, and uh, let us know if you've got topics you want us to talk about. Reach out to us on Twitter or wherever you can find us. Uh, and uh, remember to thank your over robot overlords. All right. See you I always time. do. Bye, guys. Bye, all. Have a good weekend.